Hello, welcome to North Douglas Church Online. I'm Pastor Rod Fair, and it is really a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. This is part two of our 50-day spiritual adventure in these seven weeks that lead up to Easter Sunday and the celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And today we are going to talk about worship as we consider Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And uh, before I get there, I just want to mention that we are posting all of these messages online on our YouTube channel, along with children's messages and uh, teaching and uh, announcements playlists. You can find it there on YouTube, as well as you can look for us on uh, Facebook, on our Facebook page, as well as on our website, northdouglaschurch.com. And we've recently introduced all of these sermons uh, in a podcast form. You can find them uh, in all of the regular podcast places. You can look on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as Amazon's TuneIn, and you can find these messages uh, in audio format there. So if you're in the gym or if you're driving in your car, you can listen that way as well. If you have any prayer requests, please send them along to us at prayer at northdouglaschurch.com, and we would be delighted to uh, pray for your requests. We're going to pass those along to our leadership team and the prayer team. So please uh, send those to us, and we, we would love to be able to pray over the things that are on your heart and that are concerning you. You know, I want to remind you about this 50-day spiritual adventure. We are on this seven-week journey as we uh, follow along in the milestone events in Jesus' life leading up to the resurrection. And so I have made a spiritual challenge, both for myself as well as for you and for our entire church. And that is a, a challenge about inspiring words and that you would be able to encourage those people that live in your home as well as yourself by posting notes that are encouraging to your faith. That is, notes that are from a song lyric or maybe a favorite author that encourages your faith or a scripture verse that you find particularly encouraging. And uh, as you post those notes uh, in your home, whether it's on a fridge or a mirror, wherever it might be that you can see them, that day to day that that will encourage you. I hope that you were able to do that last week. I hope that you can do it again this week. And if you are uh, wanting to make that public, you can post it online. And when you do that, if whether it's Facebook or Instagram or any other kind of uh, social media place, will you use the hashtag inspiring your faith? And that way, anyone that searches for that hashtag can find all the different messages that are there that are used to encourage and promote uh, encouragement to people's faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Today is part two of this 50-day spiritual adventure. And in the course of this, I am going to talk about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Now, this milestone event was very significant. It was the week before Jesus went to the cross and then rose from the dead. And so this, this week, John emphasizes a lot of things in his gospel as he talks about Jesus' final week. And I wanted to make sure that you were able to take in this teaching about what it meant for Jesus to come into Jerusalem and, uh, and what it says to us about worship. Often Christians refer to this as the triumphal entry because it very much was a grand entrance into the city of Jerusalem. I want you to remember that Jesus 
had raised Lazarus from the dead, and that had created a big stir, not only in Jerusalem, but all of Israel. And the Jewish leaders were not happy about what had happened. Not that they wished Lazarus any ill, but the the truth is that this miracle was so big and Jesus attracted so much attention that uh, they were very jealous and they just believed that this was uh, bad for them. You know, people were talking about the signs and wonders that Jesus had done, the things that he had said, the things that he had done as miracles, and they were remembering all of these things and anticipating that he could indeed be the Messiah. As Passover was drawing near, Jesus goes riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And this, along with his disciples and crowds of people celebrating who Jesus is and things that they're anticipating, it is quite the parade-like atmosphere and it's important to note the things that happened here in the midst of this triumphal entry. So I'm going to read from uh, starting in John chapter 12. Follow along with me as we start in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, See, your king is coming, seated on a colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. I want you to notice a few key elements that really relate to Jesus' divinity that John addresses here. The crowd shouts, Hosanna. It's it's an interesting word and it means... Uh, Savior. It means he saves. And so as the disciples are celebrating, as these crowds of people and onlookers join in, they're saying, Savior, Savior, Savior. Now, did the, did the crowd really know what they were talking about? Did they really know what they were saying? I'm not sure they knew exactly what it meant or what Jesus was going to do in order to bring salvation. But it was very appropriate. Because even if they thought that he was going to save them from the tyranny of the the Roman rule, the truth is that Jesus is the Savior. And so it was so very appropriate that as he enters into Jerusalem, they are saying, Hosanna, he saves, that he is the Savior. And indeed, Jesus did prove that he was the Savior as he went to a cross, died for people's sins, and then was raised again to life. And we're going to celebrate those things as we get a little closer to Easter this year. He is the Savior. The second point I wanted to draw attention to is that John records that Jesus is riding on the foal of a donkey. And this is a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. Zechariah, you know, centuries before Jesus was born, had made a prophetic announcement. And uh, in Zechariah 9.9, it's recorded like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on the colt, the foal of a donkey. At the time that Jesus was entering Jerusalem, the disciples did not make the connection between what Jesus was doing and the fulfillment of this prophetic word. And yet, 
after he was raised from the dead, after he was glorified, it says that then they did connect the dots. Then they understood. And John records that for us to see that things made a lot more sense once Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, it is true that Jesus was thinking ahead. And uh, as, as God Almighty's will unfolded, Jesus as the Son of God was entering into the fulfillment of that prophecy, knew that it needed to occur, and so made arrangements that this foal of a donkey would be available and rode into Jerusalem fulfilling this uh, scripture verse that really was talking about the Messiah. And anyone that knew the ancient prophecies would have said, this is messianic. This is totally about coming into a place of being the king of Israel. Now, I want you to note that there are a number of instances in the Gospels where this is recorded with some slightly different uh, details. And I want you to see from the Gospel of Luke how Luke records Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Starting at uh, verse 37 of chapter 19, it says this, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, Luke tells this story, and we can see how the Jews were complaining about what was happening. Now, we know that there were times when there was various religious leaders and Jews that were following Jesus. They wanted to know what he was up to. They wanted to know what he was saying. And so they were on this journey into Jerusalem and uh, with him, and they were seeing what the disciples were doing. They were seeing the crowds of people laying palm branches down on the road, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were not happy. They were not happy with Jesus uh, accepting all of this praise, accepting this worship that they deemed would be only uh, true and good for somebody that was worthy, for even God himself. And so they said to Jesus, make them stop. Tell them to stop. This is nonsense. This is not the way it should be. And Jesus said, if I tell them to stop, even the stones would have to cry out. There would have to be worship. There would have to be praise for the king of Israel coming into Jerusalem at this point. It, it's a startling statement. It, it really makes us pause and think about worship. Think about the person of Jesus. And Jesus has this moment where there's this human struggle and the, the religious leaders are saying, this isn't right. And Jesus is saying, this is so very right for what's going to happen. Now, the humanity of Jesus can clearly be seen because Jesus receives this praise. He receives this praise like a, a king. If a king was entering into the city and had a parade and there was a big fanfare, then yes, people would say, well, you know, that's, that's appropriate. Well, Jesus deemed the praise of the worshipers very appropriate for what was going on, for who they said that he was. And so it's important for us to note that Jesus accepted this, uh, you know, as the person not only who was going to make a sacrifice 
for the, for the whole nation, for the people of the world, but for who he is as, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man, that this was an appropriate thing for him to do. Now, I want you to see that there's an appropriateness to worship because of who Jesus is. And I think that we really need to grasp this. We need to wrestle with this concept for ourselves. Is it appropriate that we would come and that we would honor God by worshiping his son? That Jesus is the savior, the Messiah that was given for us by God Almighty. Are we doing the right thing to worship Jesus, to worship in his name? Because Jesus received the worship from the disciples, from those that were around him. And uh, I think that it was a very, very good thing. And we want to do likewise. And so the main point of my message today is simply this. Jesus is the Messiah who deserves our worship. If there's anything that will mess up the act of worshiping God, it's when our expectations get involved. It seems like every time we impose our own uh, expectations on worship, that there's things that get messed up. You know, there was a family and they had a, a tradition. They loved to big, build jigsaw puzzles. And what the father of the home would do is he would bring home a new puzzle and the whole family would get involved. On this particular day, uh, the dad brought home a brand new puzzle over a couple thousand pieces. And uh, that, that's pretty difficult. And the whole family was excited and they were, they were wanting to get at this. And so they began to start building this puzzle and sort out all the edge pieces and the things that go with building this jigsaw. They spent a whole hour and they were just so frustrated. They couldn't figure out what was going on and the colors in the puzzle. They were, they were really having a hard time. And then the dad realized that he had mixed up the lid of the puzzle with one other that they had. And so the picture that the people were looking at trying to build this puzzle wasn't the right picture. Indeed, their expectation of what it should look like was all wrong. And I think that there are times when it comes to the worship of God, when our expectation of what worship should be is it just gets askew. It just goes astray from what God really wants. And we need to come back to what does it mean to worship? What does it mean for God to receive our worship? And so today I want you to, to look with me at the characters that were in the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. I want you to see what they were saying, what they were doing in regards to worshiping Jesus. So let's look at their expectations and what they were hoping for as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So first of all, let's look at the Jews. Let's look at the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders that were there with Jesus. What was going on in their mind? See, they, they were expecting that when Messiah was going to come to Israel, that they would have this view of worship that was just like theirs. That they were doing all the things to honor the law and what Moses had said, and that the way that they interpreted, the way that they practiced the worship, that the Messiah would come along and just be their champion, that he would be the exactly like them and that they would be able to praise him because they recognized him. And when Jesus came, he just upset all of that. He upset them so much. He challenged their understanding of the law. He challenged their understanding of what God wanted. And uh, he, he just ticked them off. Like 
all the signs and miracles, they could not deny that they, they were real and that they happened, but they weren't happy because Jesus was so unorthodox to what they thought should be happening in worship. And so they had made a decision that Jesus was not worthy. And we see that as they were entering into Jerusalem, these Jews said, hey, these people cannot be worshiping you. You are not worthy. This should not be happening. They dishonored him. They dishonored the reports of his miracles. They dishonored, disrespected his whole life. They didn't like him, and so they plotted to kill him. So really what I'm saying is that the Jews, because of their expectations, they denied Jesus the worship that he deserved. Now let's look at the crowds. You see, along with the disciples, there were crowds of people that were, were watching Jesus come in. They were anticipating Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so they were expecting a show. And boy, did they get what they expected in this particular case, right? Because the disciples were shouting and praising and the people grabbed palm branches, laying them on the ground here. We're welcoming in the King of Israel. We're welcoming in the Messiah. Now, some of them may have thought he was just a fancy prophet or, you know, maybe a good teacher, but they knew of his miracles. I mean, they had heard about Lazarus rising from the dead. They had maybe been witness to some of his miracles, like multiplying the food. And so there was this understanding that Jesus could heal or cast out demons, and, and they wanted to see more. They wanted to see something great, and they got a spectacle as they... Uh, marched into Jerusalem, Jesus riding on the foal of a donkey, this very parade-like atmosphere. But you know what happened to this crowd? Is that, you know, within the week, public opinion turned against Jesus and the, the Jewish leaders stirred up these crowds. They were the same kinds of people that when Jesus stood before Pilate were shouting, crucify, crucify. Because he wasn't in favor at that moment there, their worship turned to mockery or hate. And so for the crowds, worship was very fleeting. It was very momentary. It was very, you know, we're going to have our party at this moment, but if that's not what you're going to do, if you're not going to provide a show, then we're going to go elsewhere. Now let's look at the disciples. You see, the disciples were following Jesus, and they were at this point where they, yes, Many of them were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They had seen all the miracles. They knew what it was like when Jesus healed the sick. And so they were following Jesus because they believed he is the Messiah. I mean, they had that in their heart and they had seen all the things that he had done. They had heard his teaching and they believed that he was indeed sent from God. And so they honored Jesus. They respected him. They they believed that he was worthy of their worship. And so when they shouted Hosanna, it was indeed from their heart. When they shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were believing that Jesus indeed is the King of Israel. They may not have understood all that was going to happen or what God's plan actually was, even though Jesus tried to tell them a number of times on how he would die, on the th kinds of persecution that he would go through in Jerusalem. And yet, they indeed did trust him and they understood that he is the king, that he is the Messiah. 
So what are your expectations of worship? What are our expectations together? You know, if we look into the story and we see the Jews, the crowds, the disciples, they all had a different mindset about worship, what it meant. You know, if we come to God with all kinds of our own expectations, right? Some of us expect that worship needs to happen on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, inside a beautiful building, that there needs to be uh, music and, and bright lights, and there needs to be uh, honor for, for Christ in the, the way that things are set up. And you know, that is a, a great cultural expression of worship, one that we regularly enjoy, except for right now, because of the COVID restrictions, we need to realize that, you know, there's been a little pin popped in the balloon when it comes to the worship that has been our regular expectation. And yet, doesn't worship continue to go on? Just because we have an expectation about worshiping in larger crowds in a fancy building, uh, does that mean that worship has stopped? I don't think so. And we may prefer to have you know, worship a certain way. We may prefer to have a certain style of music or a certain way that the stage is set up or even ways that a pastor looks from a platform or what he says or how he goes about praying for people. You know, all of these things are very much uh, an issue of style. And aren't there other ways that, that we can worship? Now, there are some that have an expectation that worship really should be like a concert. It really should be exciting, it should be loud and bright lights, and there should be all kinds of, of hurrah and, and real excitement about worship. And that's the way that they prefer to worship. And yes, that's very exciting. And certainly, you know, people can connect with Jesus in that kind of a very praise-filled atmosphere. But is that, that the only way to worship? No, it's just one of those things that people can do we sometimes bring our expectations into this and say, well, you know, if it's not very exciting, I'm not going to do it. And then there are others who believe that worship should be very peaceful. It should be filled with solitude and it should be filled with tranquility. And for those people, maybe they connect with God better when they're outside in nature. Maybe when they're alone, maybe they're having what would be classified as a um, a mountaintop experience, that they literally go for a retreat and that they find God there in the stillness and the quietness. Is that the only way to worship? No, of course not. I mean, God, yes, can be heard in the very quietness as we still ourselves, as we meditate and, and are part of a tranquil environment. But that's not the only way. It's not the only way that God speaks to people. And so I want to turn this discussion on worship on its head a little bit and ask a different question. I mean, truthfully, we can bring all of our expectations into the idea and the discussion about worship, but what are God's expectations? What are God's expectations of worship? Jesus, when he spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, he spoke about worship to her, and in John chapter 4, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. 
it doesn't really matter whether you're worshiping inside a church building, uh, in an auditorium, or whether you're at a concert, or whether you're outside in the woods. What really matters is, is your heart in the right place to worship God? Are you connecting with God in a way that says that the Spirit of God is working in you to reveal to you the truth about who Jesus is? Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior. We see that as he enters into Jerusalem, that there is this proclamation of who he is. But at the same time, you know, is our heart right and good with that? Are we willing to come to Jesus under any terms to say, you know, regardless of where I am, regardless of what I am doing, it is the time now to connect with you. It is the time now that I give you my heart so that I can worship you in spirit and in truth. This is the important part, that we be able to focus on the things that truly matter, that we will be able to worship God for who he is. You know, there was a concert pianist, a very famous man. He was playing a concert in a very large hall. It was packed. People had come from all over to hear him uh, play this music. And as he finished this concert, there was loud applause. There was, there was people, everyone in the entire auditorium was on their feet cheering and, and applauding for him the great things that they had heard in that music concert. All except for one old man sitting in the very front row. And uh, everyone else was on their feet and cheering, but he just sat there. And the pianist, seeing all of this and all that had happened, ran off the stage weeping and crying. And he got to the wings and his manager said, what's wrong, are, are you okay? And the man said, you know, did you see did you see that old man sitting in the front row? The minister said, listen, the whole crowd is cheering for you. They, they loved it. Why are you worrying about one old man sitting in the front row? And the pianist said, you don't understand. That old man was the composer of the music that I played tonight. He is the only one that knows exactly how it should sound. We get the idea of what this means for worship. Who is the one that is the focus of our worship? That's Jesus, the Lord of glory, the only one who knows what it really means to be the Messiah. And we may bring all of our expectations to the idea of worship, but the only one who really needs to receive it is God. And so we come to Jesus and say, God, I give you my heart. I want you to connect with me. I want to be able to honor you with my words, with my actions, with my whole life to worship you. And I believe that when we give our heart in that way, we honor Jesus. And he does indeed come to us by the Spirit of God and help us to connect with him. I believe that we can worship God with our whole heart. We can worship in spirit and in truth. If we will but focus on the true object of our worship, Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Will you pray with me today? 
Dear Lord Jesus, we want to worship you as the Savior. We thank you that you came as the Messiah to redeem people from their sins, that you offered yourself up as a sacrifice. And yet you are the King of Israel. You are the Messiah of the whole world. And so we come with a joyful heart, a thankful heart, saying you are worthy of our worship. And so we give you thanks today and we honor you for who you are. Thank you for being our Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for taking in this teaching with me. I trust that you'll be able to worship Christ in spirit and truth all throughout this week. And I want to remind you that in this 50-day spiritual adventure, as we are looking into Jesus' journey towards Easter, that you will see so many great things and be encouraged in your faith. I just want to remind you to take a song title or a verse or a lyric, something that will encourage your faith and post it online, post it on Facebook or Instagram, use the hashtag inspiringyourfaith and let everyone see what can be an encouragement uh, using encouraging words, inspiring words to help people in their faith journey. Thank you for being with me today. Have a great day. God bless you.